going to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We are in that portion at the end of Acts chapter 2. Um, we are entitled the sermon, this series, I mean Life Together, which is a, the title of the book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which is a, a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful book on community. Um, if you weren't here last week, I really do want to encourage you to listen to Brian's talk. It was profoundly fantastic. Actually, one of the best I've ever heard on the introduction in that topic on community and life together. It was astounding. I really ask you to, lead it, to listen to it. It is on the podcast. Um, it, it does give a lot of um, background and a lot of foundation to these things that we're talking about. So we, we're talking about on the subject of life together, and um, it's as we launch home groups. And we launched them this week. And so we're going to take portions of this text, which we'll read now, and I'll emphasize a few today. And that's what we're going to try and emphasize in the groups this week. And next week when we speak, we'll emphasize something else and add that into our group the week after. Um, and so help us go along. So here we go. We're going to read from verse 42 on chapter 2 of Acts. And they... All these people that have just been saved, 3,000 plus the 120, the apostles, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so today we're going to look at fellowship, eating together, breaking bread, having communion. Those are kind of the focus of our, our little talk today. Um, question for you. How direct would you like me to be today all right because i think that as we actually unpack the, the the ways of god as he wants to be for us to live i think it can get under our skin and irritate us quite a bit and i it's going to do that today because actually that's what god's word is and so it might stir some of you to ooh, a little fidgety a little burr under the saddle um, or someone was telling, who was telling me yesterday that uh, a little sand in the oyster, you know, that makes a pearl. And that's what we are desiring. This text begins with, they were devoted. You know, and that word is such a, it's again, it's also a word that's been, been misused. I, I'm so devoted to Linda. And uh, I'm devoted to this church. And I'm devoted to this or whatever. But the word devo devoted in the Greek, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. It means a steadfast and simple, single-minded fidelity to a certain course of action. A steadfast and single-minded fidelity to a certain course of action. When they were devoted to these things, they single-mindedly set their hearts, set their minds, set their purposes to participate in these things that made up the community of faith. To not participate in the community of faith here was to be outside of what God was doing. It was to be outside of the purposes of God. 
And so as we talk about this, we are focusing in and saying, for us as believers, as disciples today, to be part of what Jesus is doing on the earth, to be part of those who bring the kingdom to bear in this world that we live in, in every aspect where we find ourselves, it means that we have to be devoted, single-mindedly attentive to the people of God and be participating in that. To not do that is to be outside of what God is really wanting to do. How's that for a start? All right. They were devoted to the fellowship. I like the word. It didn't just say they were vote, devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to the fellowship. That In the Greek, there's a specific word there, te. It actually means that they implies that this fellowship gathering of the disciples of Jesus was distinctly different from all other gatherings that were happening. There was very specific purpose. They came together with meaning. They came together with vision. They came together because God had something that he intended for them to be and to do. They weren't just committed to, let's hang out together. This was purposeful. So when we come together today, when we come together in home groups, or we come together in a time of prayer, or we come together in times of fasting, or whatever, we, we come together with purpose, not just to hang out and have a meal. Actually, the text that we read from 1 Corinthians 11, which was the, the, the brethren gathering to actually break bread and eat together, people were just coming together and just grabbing food and eating, and some were going without food, and the, there was, it was chaos, because they lost what is the purpose of why we are doing this? We want, we want, to, we want to stick to the purpose. Um, there were a lot of gatherings in Jerusalem at that time. They used to meet in the temple courts and gather and talk and pray and discuss. That's what people did. But theirs was different. They had a new purpose, a whole new thing that was happening. They were committed and devoted to the breaking of bread. It goes on later, devoted to eating together. And that's, it seems to me as I read the text that the breaking of bread was often around the meal. We do it today now, these sort of gatherings, because we're not here to eat, we're here for a meeting, and then we have communion. But it seems to me that I, when I read the Bible and look at the early church, they broke bread around the meal. In the midst of their eating together, in the midst of their communal life, they would stop and say, let's remember why we're here. Let's remember why we are a community. Let's remember the purposes of God. I mean, Jesus himself said, do this in memory of me. So when they did, they were remembering Jesus and all his purposes. It's not haphazard. I don't want it to be haphazard. And I think communion can become a little haphazard. We don't want it to be that. We want to remember actually what Jesus did that gives us life and gives us purpose and gives us meaning and makes us into community living kingdom life. It also is the opportunity to remember to take stock of our lives and not to eat of communion lightly, but to actually weigh, well, God, are there things I need to adjust? Are there things I need to repent of? It's really, really important. Um, you see, the Lord's Supper, it helps us celebrate the past. He's a happy fellow today. The Lord's Supper helps us celebrate the past. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. We look back 
Sometimes we don't want to look back. But actually the Bible is continually causing us to look back. Remember the covenant. Remember what Abraham, remember David, remember Jesus, remember, remember. Because when we forget to remember, we lose touch with our roots and we become floating people that are not anchored and we go blow here, blow there, blow everywhere, blow with any wind of teaching. But the breaking of bread communion is that reminder to stop, look back, re-anchor on what Jesus has done and what Jesus has said and what Jesus has called us to. We look back to celebrate the past. It's where we enter into Jesus' story because we identify with that death. We identify with that resurrection. We identify with that community. Does that make, is that okay? Is that clear? We're we anchoring ourselves back into the story of Jesus. We're personalizing that story into our lives and into our community and say, we want to remind ourselves to live the way that Jesus wanted us to live. But it only, doesn't only make us look to the past, it makes us look to the future. Because it reminds us that Jesus said, in, in that text, he said, I won't drink of this cup again until there's a day coming. There is a day coming when it's all going to be wrapped up. When Jesus will, will once again drink of the cup. We will join in that. And then there will be this major celebration of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it will be glorious. We spoke about that a few weeks ago when we spoke about hope. It points us to the future. We have something to hold on to into the future. We have something to believe in, something to hope for. A few weeks ago we said we are a people who are firmly anchored in the future. The roots are in the future and the branches are in the present. Breaking of bread reminds us, Jesus said, I'm coming back. That's important. But it also helps us celebrate the present because it reminds us that we're in community. It's hard to break bread by yourself, just as it's hard to baptize yourself. Someone needs to baptize you because you're in community. You, you, you're dying to yourself and you've been resurrected into community, into this new life in God. So when you break bread, you can't break bread by yourself. Unless you feel like somehow you're schizophrenic and you give, I don't know, we do it together. We do it as family. We do it as couples. We do it as friends. We do it as community. We, do it, we remind ourselves that we live in the present as part of a community. It's one loaf. It's one body that we are a part of. And none of, no part of that body can say, I don't need you. Well, no, we need one another. We need the dirty left little toe. And we need the bent pointing finger. We need, we need everybody to participate and play their role in God's community so that the kingdom moves forward. It's really important. I told you the story of my friend Jonathan Leach, who must be 80 now. I don't know. If he might, I think he's still alive. And he's a, he's a rabid, prophetic leader of a church. Wild man. And he would, they were breaking bread in these big apostolic teams. And he was asked to do it. And he took the loaf. And he, he used to glare. And he glared at everybody. And he took the loaf. And he broke it. And he threw half of it out the window. And said to them most firmly, I have no need of you. And everyone started getting nervous. And then he took the other half and he broke that in half. And he threw it out of the window. 
I have no need of you. And then he broke the other part and he held it and said, Let no man say, I have no need of you. My concern is that we often live as if we don't need each other. I'm caught up with my little family. Thank you very much. What about the single who has no family? Where are they being included? Aren't they supposed to be included in your family? This breaking of bread connects us. It reaffirms our declaration of love and affection and faith in Jesus. We don't do it lightly. It reminds us of God's act in our lives to save us and place us in Christ. To place us in covenant community so that we can work this out and participate. But if you look at the end of that of 1 Corinthians 10, I just want to read a portion there quickly. Uh, from verse 18. Where am I up to? I think it's there. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? When we come to the table of communion, not only are we looking to the future, not only are we looking to the past, not only are we looking at how we participate with God in Christ, with the community, in the present, not only are we reminding ourselves of the acts of God to put us into Christ and into community, but we are placed full face with the thing, do we have only one God whom we serve? Or have we given our lives and our hearts and parts of our minds in allegiance to another? And we try to participate with two cups and two tables. Communion is an opportunity to rewrite your course and say, no, I am following one Lord, one God. I give my allegiance to one God, one Lord, one Christ. In practice, our lives are split. But actually, breaking of bread is that time to come back and say, no, I'm giving my allegiance once again to one God. That's why we should break bread often. Because we can remind ourselves often of what God has called us to and what he's done. I hope that's helpful. Not only do we break bread, we come together to eat and to have a jolly fine meal. This was, these were celebrations. They came together to eat. and I don't know how they did their food. Did they bring it together? Was it a potluck? Did someone host? We don't know. There was rich and there was poor in this community. So some brought much, some brought little, but they shared. There was this openness. We're going to eat together. And in the midst of the joy of being God's family together, they then broke bread. But there was the joy of eating together. You know what eating does? There's an Afrikaans saying from South Africa. It says, when you've sat at a table and you've eaten together and your knees have touched under the table, it's very hard to speak ill of that person again. There's something wonderful that happens at the table. 
we remind ourselves that we're part of family. And family's messy. And some of the family are ugly. Some are really good looking. But it's messy. It's family. That's, I mean, the Bible is a story of messy family. Almost every problem in the Bible is because of messy family. Jealousy. You know? Fam- it's, but we still celebrate that family. Because it's actually the only one we got. Do you know that in the time of the restoration of heaven and earth, when it all, we live with God and it's all restored, there will be no marriage. You know that? Your wife is going to be fairly unimportant to you at that time. She'll be very important, but not to you. Your husband, your kids, If they're in Christ, they'll be there. But we will be part of a body, a bride, that is caught up with Jesus. So why not do it now? Now, I'm not saying you you get rid of your wife or your husband or your kid. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying participate as family, pointing toward Jesus. We participate with Jesus. Because that's the eternity. Isn't it? Don't you want your extended, extended families, those who... Do not yet follow Jesus or know Jesus. Don't you want them to be included in that? Let's eat together. Problem, we live in a world where eating together is drive through McDonald's, grab a quick and we munch it and we're done. But these days we're around the table, break bread, eat together, share it, tear it. There's life. Messy. Running down the chin, you know. That's the meal we want to share. That's why I love Thanksgiving. You know, it's not that I like Thanksgiving as a holiday for that, but we can give thanks, but it's together. We eat together. It's great food. Now, we've done that well as a church. There's no criticism here. We've done that well. There's some things we've done really good as community, and we want to keep doing them well. We just want to add to them we want to add strangers and those who don't yet follow Jesus we want to add those into our family because it says God was adding there was life people want to be where there's life we're okay anyone feeling like a burr under the saddle yet so along comes a book called Hebrews it's a letter We don't know who wrote it. It's written to Hebrews. It's written to the Jews. And it's written um, to most of them who were scattered around. These were Jewish Christians. And so they'd been pushed all over the place. And Jews were known for community. And remember, Christianity comes out of the Jewish faith. The community is rooted in our whole history, everywhere. You can go back the 2,000 years of Christianity and the 2,000, 3,000 years going back from that. We are rooted in community and so here we come the Jews are struggling people are scattered and they history tells us people were kind of living isolated little pockets little here and the writer to the Hebrews writes this book to remind people firstly of who is Jesus don't forget who Jesus is as Jews don't forget Jesus was greater than Moses Jesus greater than angels Jesus is great he's the one 
That's the whole reminder. This is what he's done. This is how he's fulfilled the Old Testament. He's the, the heavenly apostle. He's the one that's opened the way so that we can go through the curtain. I mean, they're describing Jesus. This is Jesus. Guys, we don't, and ladies, sorry. We don't serve some Mickey Mouse Jesus, my homeboy Jesus. That's not the Jesus we serve. We serve the Jesus high and lifted up, who came out of heaven to live a life for us and then returned there. So he says, you've got to remember who this Jesus is. And then he jumps to chapter 10, which is one of my favorite little texts, which we memorized, I think. Therefore, brothers... Chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, just say, remember Jesus, remember Jesus, remember Jesus, Jesus. Isn't that what he's saying? That's all the chapters before. He says five things. Let us. So therefore, in the light of Jesus, let us draw near. Draw near. Number two, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. That thing we spoke about a few weeks ago. Number three, let us stir one another up. Consider. Number four, let us not neglect meeting together. And number five, let us encourage one another. So the first two you possibly could try to do by yourself, draw near to God, and you could quite possibly try to hold fast to your confession of hope by yourself, but the other three you can't. Because you have to stir someone up. You know? And you mustn't neglect meeting together unless you like meeting with yourself. And you need to encourage one another. Those are community endeavors. An experience of 36 years of following Jesus told me that I even find it difficult to hold on to my faith if I'm not walking it out with community. Because they hem me in when I feel like I want to go that way. The community holds me in. It's when I'm in community that I can draw near to God. That's why worship's important. Even if it's rotten guitar playing, it's still the community drawing near to God. Now, sociologists tell us that this century that we live in now is the closest to the first century in terms of what it means to be a Christian in the world, in terms of its fragmentation, in terms of its difficulty to be a Christian, in terms of the persecution that will come upon the church, etc., etc. It's the closest to the first century, this century where people are abandoning faith because of so many other things, B- abandoning faith because of fear of losing jobs or losing this or not getting that, a fear that has gripped us because to be a Christian and to stand up for Jesus in our world is really, 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 really difficult right now. Especially in a city like L.A. We are called to live as disciples of Jesus in L.A., that's what we're called to do. It's difficult. It lines up to that first century. In that first century, when the people were struggling, this writer, this apostolic writing to encourage this group of people said there are these five things. Guys, you've got to be careful. You need to draw near to God. You need to hold fast to the confession of your hope. You need to stir one another up. It says it's so difficult, you can't do it by yourself. 
And I'm just seeing people everywhere who are abandoning community and their faith is dwindling. It's become small. It's like a prune. It's shriveling up. They've got an element, a part of it, but it's shriveled up because it's no longer been lived in the light of community that impacts the world. And the writer said to them, you've got to stir one another and you've got to meet together. It's not legalistic to meet together. It's what keeps us on the path. It's what keeps us strong, what keeps us whole, what keeps our marriages together, what helps us with our kids, it helps us with our job. When we are together, don't neglect meeting together. There's community. And thirdly, in that, encourage one another. I'm struggling. We'll encourage you. We are here for you. We're going to help you. But here's the deal. Some of you, some of us, you only want to be in community when you're in need and someone can help you. You don't want to be in community when you are doing well and you can help someone else. You know what the Bible calls that? Actually, the, the language calls it. It's called selfish. It says, I'm caught up with me. I have need. I have a need. Please, can we have an offering because I have a financial need. But when you're doing well, are you giving to the financial need? Do you make the prayer meetings when you have need and people can pray for you? Or are you there when you are doing really well and everything's going well so that you can pray for another? You see, we became mature because people invested into our lives. Discipleship is taking that and invested into another person. That's why we need to be together in community. Otherwise, you're living outside of the purposes of God. A little burr under the saddle. A little snippet of sand in the oyster. You've got to want community bad. You want to fight for it. It's not an optional extra. There's writers now writing. You don't need to be part of community. Horse stuff, man. We've always needed community. God's people have always needed community. It goes back for at least 5,000 years. We've always needed community. As people of faith. Sorry. <sighs> Breathe. Brian is like this. Nice teacher. I'm just like more. You withdraw from community at your own peril. Let me say this. Not all community is the same. I've tried to draw a broad spectrum of things here. Wine clubs and soccer clubs and neighborhood watches and book clubs and business groups and college study groups is not the community of faith. They can be, but they're actually not what God is calling us to. So you can say, I have community. I'm part of the wine club. So what? That's not community that God intended. Can a Christian community have a wine club? Of course. Isn't it wonderful? Yeah. 
all these communities, and it is community. I'm not saying it's not community. But it can't take the place of Jesus' life community. Just can't. They're not gathered as disciples. They're not gathered around the person of Jesus, our Lord. They're not gathered around a breaking of bread to remember and look forward and live in the present and realign ourselves to one God. They're not for praying together and caring for one another and sharing burdens and sharing needs. They're not for that. They're for a small task, each one. Am I saying you should get out of those? I'm not saying that at all. I'm part of a little photo group. I like it. But it can never take the place of God's group. And if there's a choice, there is no choice. But, Terry, aren't we supposed to reach the unsaved? Come on. Yes, you are. No one's saying you shouldn't do that. But if you're not part of Christian community and you go get them saved, what on earth are you going to do with them? Where are you going to take them? Who is going to disciple them? You can't because you don't believe in community. So what's going to happen? Doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Get with the plan. Stick with the plot. Stick with a 5,000-year-old plan that actually has worked through ups and downs. This is about the eternal body of Christ. This is not a game. Maybe next week we'll have two, the two front rows. That'll work. It looks okay. This is more. This community is more about Jesus than about me and my inf- and my individualism and my individual desires, etc., etc. This is about Jesus. It's about demonstrating Jesus' life. It's about reflecting Jesus. People were being added to their number because these people lived a certain way. And we'll cover some other things as we go along in the weeks. Here's the, here's the good news. No one's going to force you to do this. No policemen, police officers, sorry. No one's going no to tick you off. No one's going to, well, you can choose. Jesus never forced people. He just present a truth and let them rise or fall. Rich young ruler, just this is one thing, guy. You, you're doing it well. Yeah, just this one thing. This is the heart of the matter for you. Not for every, for you. Just sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Come on. And so he walked away. And Jesus didn't let him go five, six steps and say, oh, I was only joking. <laughs> Come back. It's okay. We need the money. Let him go. Loved him, it says. He loved him. Let him go. No one's going to check up on you. No one's going to follow. Unless you say, please, would you check up on me? Please, would you help me to live God life? Then we will. But very reluctantly. Because in the past, we've done that, and then people check out, but they don't tell you that they've checked out, and then you get into trouble for checking in on them. Some of the worst things that people can say in church. I just get nothing out of it. 
gain horse, whatever. The reason you get nothing out, you put nothing in. I'll just go to another church because it'll be better there. Go. The same problem will arise because it's you or me. It's not the church, unless the church is in sin. That's a different issue. Or, this is my favorite. So this is going to touch on some of you today. I don't know what to do. I just got to say it. You know, I'm tired. I don't feel like going to church today. Would you say that tomorrow morning? You know, I'm tired. I don't feel like going to work today. You're going to do that? You know what will happen? You'll get fired. But we, we think we can get away with God. Well, God will understand. No, he doesn't. He's called us to be his people in the world. It's sacrificial. That does that mean you have to be at every meeting? No, that's not what we're saying. But at least have a good reason. I don't feel like going today is not a good reason to not gather with God's people. Because there might be someone there that needs you at that point in time in your tired state. Because in your weakness is when God is strong. Not when you think you're doing well. Sorry, I'm feeling passionate. This stuff's on my heart a lot. Imagine you woke up. I don't feel like being a dad or a mom today. You don't have a break. Huh? Not going to do that. But we think because there's no cash involved and there's no baby that's going to cry and need involved, we can play around with God's people and God. We can't. There is an accountable factor that will happen somewhere. And it's not about legalism. It's not about if I do this, God's going to be pleased with me. It's not about that at all. God is, loves you. God is pleased with you. It's all, that's taken care of. Say so we need each other. Do you need vacation? Of course you do. Please take it. Do you need Sabbath? Yes, you do. Please do it. But don't take the easy route. Everyone will understand. No, there's someone that might need you today. Can I go for a few more minutes? Are we all right? All right. Um, I just got this little bit left here. You know, there's the natural and there's the spiritual. And I've said this many, many times, and I'm going to say it again because I think it's important. When you were born as a human being and you came out of your mother's womb, you were fully human. Fully human. In fact, you were fully human the moment you were conceived. But you are fully human when you are born. And Naomi, see, I've got to run is born in June, she's going to be fully human. And she's going to be a full participating member of the human race. And you might say, well, what? she's not fully, yes, she will, but she's going to need, and she'll be participating in the human race. She'll be fully a member of the human race. But God, in his creative wisdom, did not put Naomi on the street and said, great, you're a human, you're part of the human race, get on with life. 
No, he put her in a family to take care, to nourish, to stir, to grow, to mature, to be part of a greater community of uncles and aunts. It's commu- Same with the spiritual. When you get born again, comes from John chapter 3, Jesus interacting with Nicodemus, one of the religious wise men of the day, Pharisee or Sadducee, saying, I don't understand this. No, you've got to be born again. You've got to have a spiritual birth. The moment you are born again, you are a fully participating member of the body of Christ. You are full Christian. You don't grow. You are. That's what you are. But God in his wisdom doesn't put you on the street and say, go for it. As much of the church does, get saved. As long as we've got your name, praise God. No, you put in a family where you get discipled, where you grow, where you mature. So you become effective in the ways of that family. And you get new uncles and aunts, and some of them are unbearingly embarrassing. But you're part of the family. And this family is connected to that family. We part. We don't just do it by ourselves. In the so in the natural, so in the spiritual. The worst thing that you can be is an untethered Christian. It's like an untethered wild colt that just runs wild and kicks everything and breaks everything. God puts us in families. His word, you are a chosen people. It's not you're a chosen person. You're a chosen people. Your salvation is intimately, intimately personal. It's not private. All of this to talk about home groups. Home groups are to help us with building and being and living in community in a fragmented and individualistic, selfish, busy retreat into your own home kind of world. Can I say that again? Home groups are to help us with building and being and living in community in a fragmented, individualistic, selfish, busy, retreat into your own home kind of world. We can't survive on this meeting. In the early church, they met daily. Would we like to meet daily? It'd be great, but we're realistic. We live in a world that doesn't, we can't survive on Sundays. It's just not enough time to do the things that need to be done and care for one another. That's why we need home groups. That's why we're putting them in place. So that we have these small pockets and the idea is that they will grow and we don't want them to possibly go beyond 10 or 12 people. They can possibly get around a dining room table. Now, they might grow quickly. I don't know how many people are going to come to home groups as, as we start, but we, we need to train leaders and get go- we, we want them to be these pockets where we live life together, we share together. And so we've, we're going to put them back into place. Some, are, you've been jaded by home groups in the past. It's an opportunity for God to refresh you and renew your mind in terms of what God wants to do. We're going to be quite disciplined about them. We want them to start at a set time and finish at a set time. They're going to be built around a meal. We're asking the hosting family to provide that meal. The church is going to provide finances and allowance toward that. 
so that you can come straight from work and sit down and have a meal. It'll be a simple meal, but around a table and out of that, break bread together and this week and fellowship and enjoy one another. Next week, we'll add something else and we'll add something else. And it doesn't mean that every home group's going to do everything all the time. It's just that we're adding these things, but these are the things that will participate in the life of community in a smaller. We pray for one another, care for one another, meet the needs of one another. Find a way to meet the need of a neighbor. I don't know, all sorts of things in a smaller context. They're not an optional extra. And we're not forcing you to go. It's your choice. But they're going to help us to live the way that Jesus wants us to live. If you have kids, we're looking at how we can do babysitting. Again, the church is going to make funds available to those groups to to create babysitting so that mom and dad can enjoy that hour and a half, whatever, two together and participate. Our goal is not to overload you with meetings. We deliberately are not putting things on Saturdays. There might be once in a year we might do a Saturday thing. But we want to keep Saturdays totally free so because we know your week is busy and life is crazy. So then you can do the things that you need to do and go shopping and do all the things that you have to do. We don't. And we've got a meeting on a Sunday evening now that enables you, if you wanted to do Sabbath from six, 6 o'clock on a Saturday and end it in the gathering and the breaking of bread and fellowship and worship so that you have that time. If you need to go away for a weekend, you can go away and still be back in time to gather with God's people. We're not, over, we're not going to add new meetings. Within that structure, which Brian can talk about, there'll be gaps as well. We're not running them ongoing. There'll be be blocks with breaks in the blocks as well. But we want to do everything that we can under God to see community built in a Jesus way. And it doesn't just happen because you know that when you have a, a gap in your planner, and then you fill it with, and you, or you did something and you give that away, that gap just fills up again. So you have to be intentional. You have to make a decision. It's not going to just happen. You've got to make a decision. You're going to have to reorder, realign, rearrange things in your life to participate with God's people. That's what it means to be a disciplined follower of Jesus. Following the disciplines is that you rearrange and reorder your life to that. I love what Dallas Willard says. The greatest enemy of discipleship in our world is hurry. God, not man, God set in motion Sabbath because you weren't meant to work seven days a week. It's actually ungodly. You know how I know that? Because God Sabbathed. Um, hmm. So I'll stop there. I trust that what I shared is from the Bible, but with passion. It's not my good ideas. If it is good ideas... Throw them out. We're not not interested in just operating out of good ideas. We want to operate out of what has God called us to? What is God intending for us?